think right now we should just uh, pause and pray for the biggest problem in our world right now, and that's that billionaire professional baseball owners and multimillionaire professional baseball players are both struggling financially and can't reach an agreement so that we can actually have baseball games this season. And as a baseball fan, uh, this, this really perplexes me. Uh, I know some of you don't even care because baseball has done an incredible job in the last 25 years of killing itself from within and making what was once a national pastime something a lot of people no longer care about at all. But as a baseball fan, this bothers me. I love to go to different baseball stadiums. And uh, it started right when I got out of college. I would go to different parks. And baseball's unique in that every, every stadium is different. And, and I know that when you go to different football stadiums and basketball and NHL arenas, they're, they're different on the outside. But what's unique about baseball is the actual playing dimensions are different based on the different stadiums that you go to. In football, there's a uniform field and basketball and hockey uniform playing surfaces as well. But baseball, every stadium is unique and it's, it's different in each case. So I love to go to different, ga- different stadiums, love to take in different games. And a couple years ago, I went for the very first time to Bush Stadium where the St. Louis Cardinals play, and I left just completely underwhelmed. And it's not just because the Cardinals play there. Now, I, I hate the Cardinals. I'm a Cincinnati Reds fan. And uh, you probably, if you're a Brewers fan, don't care about the Cardinals that much either, as long as they're not the Cubs, right? No, the, the Cubs aren't, aren't exactly popular around here. Brewers are all right. But as a Reds fan, being in Bush Stadium where the Cardinals play, it was just, just brutal. But that's not the reason that I left underwhelmed. The reason that I left underwhelmed, and this is going to sound crazy, I recognize that, but the reason I left underwhelmed is even though it was my very first time in the stadium, I felt like I'd been there before. I felt like I'd seen it before. And not because I have some premonition or not because I have dreams or anything along those lines. It's because I had a baseball video game. And I had played the, video, the baseball video game so many times that when I walked into Bush Stadium, gone was the new feeling. Gone was the feeling of something, this is going to be unique. It's going to be something that's fresh and something new. It felt familiar. It felt old. And I left completely feeling underwhelmed, all because what I'd experienced on a video game it left it so that I felt like I'd already been there before because the video game representation was that authentic. It let me know exactly what I would experience. This morning, we're going to talk about Jesus, and we're going to talk about the representation that he is and how he is the fullness of God on full display. So if you have your phones or your tablets, I'd invite you to follow along with us in the Bible app. And once you've installed the Bible app on the device of your choosing, you can enable the events feature either by enabling locations or typing in zip code 54201. If you have a Bible with you, we're going to be in the New Testament book of Colossians, the New Testament book of Colossians chapter 1, as today we finish up with brand new. And where we started this journey back in January was we saw at the moment we make the decision to follow after Jesus, we are new creations. 
The old is gone and the new has come. And that happens at the moment we make the decision to follow after Jesus. But God isn't done with us at that moment. In fact, Jesus is still involved in our lives and he is mediating between us and God the Father. We saw that all this happens not because we earn it or deserve it, but all this is afforded to us because of grace. It's God's gift to us. And just because it's grace doesn't give us a license to go live like hell, even though our destination's heaven. God's, God still cares about the way that we live our lives, and he wants us to honor him with the choices that we make. And our choices should be a reflection of appreciation and thanksgiving for all that God has done in our lives. We saw that God is for us that he is on our side. And he saw that he gives each and every one of us unique talents and abilities to serve him. That enables us to grow closer to Jesus, but it also enables us to help other people in their spiritual journeys as well. We saw that following God was never meant to be reduced to a list of things that we need to not do. But yeah, there are some things that we shouldn't do as a result of the fact that we follow Jesus, but there's just as many things that we also need to start doing as the fact that we follow after him. We saw that the best way to know the heart of God is to engage with him through scripture, is to read and, and to contemplate on, on what he's left for us, his revealed heart to us in scripture. And then last week we saw that God desires a communication with us, that he isn't some distant deity, but God desires communication to us in prayer. And we don't have to we don't have to have some formal, special language in order to pray, but God meets us right where we are, and he cares about what we care about, and this is just incredible. And today, as we, as we wrap all this up, I just want to focus on who Jesus is. And when we see who Jesus is, it makes our standing with God, it makes our relationship with God that much more incredible. So we're going to start in Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, where we read these words. He, Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now we need to stop right here for just a minute. Because I recognize when we hear the, the word firstborn, we have an idea in our minds because we think when we hear this word, well, we're talking about our oldest child. And for instance, in our family, Brooke and I were married for about three years before we welcomed our oldest son. And that's not what's being communicated here about Jesus. Remember, as we've talked about, Jesus is fully God. God operates within a trinity. There is God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. All are three distinct persons, and all three are fully God. They don't have a measure of God. They are all three fully God, but there are three distinct persons within what's called the Godhead, and that's the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. So since Jesus is fully God, that means that Jesus has every attribute of God, and we know that God is eternal. So this can't mean what our understanding is of firstborn, and this is one of the times that we have to stop and remember. The scriptures were not originally written to us in English. They weren't originally written to us in English. The Old Testament was written primarily in Hebrew. There are a few portions of it which were written in Aramaic, but primarily Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek. 
And so every translation we have is a good translation, and there are teams of scholars and experts who come together and who analyze the earliest manuscripts that we have in the original language. And then every, and maybe you've wondered why there are different Bible versions. Well, some versions, the, the team will meet together, and they will translate word by word. Some will translate phrase by phrase. But we occasionally get to something like this, where we're talking about firstborn, and that's a great translation, but what the concept is in Greek, which where the New Testament was originally written, is different than a concept that we have in English. And I just have to camp out there for a minute so you understand that we are not saying that Jesus is not eternal. Jesus is eternal. Jesus is fully God, so there is no beginning and there is no end, but what Firstborn is actually communicating here is a level of preeminence. It's a level of standing. Firstborn in position or rank. So we don't really use the word firstborn to communicate position or rank, but that is what's being talked about here where Apostle Paul writes to the church in Colossae in Colossians chapter 1, and he says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of creation. He is not indicating that Jesus is not eternal. So I just want to be crystal clear on what we're talking about here. What he is talking about is that Jesus is, he is preeminent in position and rank, meaning every single one of us has the image of God. Every single person is created in God's image. Every person carries with them being created in God's image. But when we look at Jesus, he is, he is the fullness of God on full display. He is the fullness of God. He is the full image of God. Jesus is fully God, full humanity, and full divinity, all in one person, the God-man. That is Jesus. So he bears the image of God much more so than we bear the image of God. Let me illustrate this for you. Jesus is the 8K full HD version of God. We are like that 1950s television set that my grandparents had in their basement growing up that was black and white and it had two dials, and I'm not talking about the power in the volume. I'm talking about two dials to change the channels. Now, what kind of voodoo was on that television set? I do not know, but there were two different sets of dials that you would have to turn to get different channels in addition to a power and a volume on there, and there was no remote control. Forget about that. And controlling the television from your phone <laughs> That technology, the, the phone was still a rotary hanging on the wall. Like, that's what I grew up. Now, some of you remember those TVs. Some of you had grandparents with those TVs. Some of you had that television set. Some of you are like, what, what are you talking about, Brian? That makes no sense. I got you. I got you. Jesus is like the PS5 version. We are like the Atari version of the video game. And if you don't know what an Atari is, then we're like the Nintendo version of the game. And if you don't know what that is, then Google is your friend. And I promise you, though you think you have it rough in a childhood, your video games are so beyond what I could even fathom growing up. You have no idea how lucky you are to be growing up in this wonderful age of the video games that you have. The point is this, that yes, we bear the image of God, but we are a dark reflection of it. And Jesus is the fullness of God on full display for all to see. 
That's what we're going to be talking about, the image of God in Jesus. And it goes on. For, Jesus, for by Jesus all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. That Jesus created everything. Jesus created everything. We see this all the way back in Genesis chapter 1. Before God makes, before God makes man. It's recorded for us. God says, let us go make man in our image. And again, we've talked about the fact that Jesus is eternal. But here we see that Jesus has his hands in creation. He has his hands all over creation. And the purpose, the purpose of creation is that God would delight in it. The purpose of all creation is that God would delight in it. That all the beauty and the wonder that we see around us and frankly, sometimes take for granted. We lose sight of how, how beautiful and how majestic this world can be. And I know some of you are you're so much better at this than, than I am. Because a couple of weeks ago, we had some visitors in. And they were just talking about how beautiful the lake is. And it's something I see every day. And I've grown accustomed to it. And if I take the time to reflect on it, yeah, it's beautiful, but it's so, so many times I just lose sight of how incredibly beautiful this world in which we live is. Now, some of you never lose sight of that. Some of you love to go down and, and pick, up, pick up driftwood and sea glass and you have entire collections of things. You just enjoy the beauty of the lake. I don't understand why you want to pick up somebody else's garbage. That doesn't make sense to me. I'm like, hey, you know... Home Depot is all the lumber that you need, and if you want some glass, just order the color that you want and take a hammer to it. You might even be able to cut it in the shape that you actually want it for. Try that, but, but some people, they just, they notice it, and we can so often lose sight of it. I, had a, I met somebody who grew up in an incredible place in San Diego, and I went over to their house one time, and they had a house up in the mountains overlooking San Diego, just incredibly beautiful home, incredibly beautiful scenery. And I went up there one night with a group of friends and I was talking to the, the person who grew up in the house. And I said, this is phenomenal. They said, it's all right. And I'm like, what do you mean this is all right? It doesn't get better than this. I'm from the cornfields of Ohio. You have no idea how incredible this is. A couple months later, I flew into New York City, and the person that I was sitting next to on the flight was a talker. And what? listen, on when I'm on a flight, it's your call. If we're sitting next to each other, you want to talk, I'll talk. You want to put the noise-canceling headphones on all flight, I'm game for that too. I'm leaving it up to you. I'm not going to start the conversation, but if you want to have the conversation, we can talk all flight long. That's your call, whatever you want to do. She wanted to talk all flight long. We were talking all flight long, and all of a sudden, she just gasped, and she says, it's so beautiful. I said, what? She said, look at it. I said, I'm right here. You're pointing the other way. What, what are you talking about? She said, look at the cornfields. I'm like, what? She said, look at it. These are incredible. I said, you don't have, 
do you have allergies? She said, I live in New York City. I don't know if I have allergies. These are beautiful. Oh, I see your buildings. And what happens is we walk through life and we grow accustomed to God's beauty, which is on display all around us. And what I want to challenge you to do is just, just take it in and just see it for all that it is. Spend some time looking at the stars and reflecting on the majesty and the magnitude of God's creation. Look at the lake and see how gloriously majestic it is. Check out a sunrise, or if you're like me, a sunset, because it's still a little early to see the sunrise, and take in its beauty. Don't let it go for granted. And then remember what Scripture tells us, that the beauty which is on display all around us, it's all created for God's glory. And not only that, but the beauty that's on display all around us is a shell of what it originally was. That as a result of the sin in the fall, Creation cries out in growth pains, wanting to be restored to the beauty that God originally designed it to be. What we see is a shell of how beautiful this world once was, and it still is so incredible. We can't wrap our minds around it. And then, when we take it all in, I want you to reflect on this truth as well. That the creator who made all of that and made all of that for his delight made you. And he knows everything about you. He knows your name. He loves you. And he desires a relationship with you. All things were created through him and for him. And Jesus is before all things. And in Jesus, all things hold together. Again, we talked about the fact that Jesus is eternal. He's part of the Trinity. But, but not only that, he's, he's what holds everything together. Jesus holds everything together. And some of you right now, your lives are spinning out of control and you're spiraling and you don't understand why. And you feel like your world's in a million pieces. And it seems like you can't get ahead and it seems like no matter what you do, it isn't enough, it isn't good enough. And you had the plan for your life. You had the course set out and you knew exactly what you were going to do. But here you find yourself and frankly, you don't know how you're going to carry on and you don't know what's happening and it's frustrating and you just feel like everything is broken apart. And I just want to remind you, Jesus is the glue, that he will and he does hold everything together. And if you find yourself spiraling, if you find yourself in that circumstance right now where it seems like everything's in a million pieces, I just want you to ask yourself the question, is it because you're relying on yourself? Is it because you're relying on yourself to sustain things? Is it because you're relying on yourself move forward. And in the midst of your brokenness, if that's the conclusion that you arrive at, it's because there's been self-dependency. I hope you'll take this as a moment just to see the beauty 
that we can find when we recognize our insufficiency. The place where we reach, where we recognize, I can't do this on my own. And the beauty of recognizing that we were never meant to. And we've never had to. That Jesus is the glue that holds everything together. Universally, yes. But individually as well. And if you've been trying to do this apart from him, now is the time to invite God into your circumstances. Now is the time to ask God to intervene in that situation that you have tried and you have tried and you have tried, but it's not working out. And everything you do seems, to, seems just to end in failure. Now is the time to embrace your insufficiency and recognize that God's got this. And he's got you. That Jesus holds everything together. And Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything, Jesus might be preeminent. And here we see another role, that Jesus is the head of the church. That everything about the church is to be done unto, unto Jesus' cause. This is why our mission statement here, and this is why every decision that we make has to, be, has to be siphoned through that mission statement, that we exist to help people move one step closer to Jesus and reach those far from him. Because Lakeside is not mine. Lakeside isn't ours. Lakeside is God's. This church is Jesus' church. I have the incredible privilege and the incredible opportunity to steward Lakeside, and I love it. The reality is this. I'm temporary. I don't have plans of leaving. I don't want to go anywhere. But the reality is there will come a day where Lakeside, I no longer have the privilege to lead Lakeside. And it's never been about me. It's never been about anybody on this team. It's always, always, always been about the cause of Christ. And it must always be the cause of Jesus. Don't follow me. You follow me, I'm going to disappoint you. I'm going to fail. I am a messed up, flawed person just like everyone else. My job and my obligation and my responsibility is to point people to Jesus and then get out of the way and let God move. But I don't want to build a kingdom for myself. That's entirely empty. What we want to see is we want to see the name of Jesus magnified and glorified. And it's not about me, and it's not about anybody else on the team, and it never can be. It is all about the cause of Jesus. He, this is his church. We have the privilege to lead it. But we are stewarding what doesn't belong to us. We are stewarding what is Jesus's. And it's an incredible privilege to manage, but it is not ours. We do not own it. Jesus is the one who defeated death. He's the one who gives us hope that death is not the final word. Jesus is the one and in everything that Jesus would be preeminent, in everything that Jesus would be the main focus. And here's the question, is that true in your life? Is that true in your life? Is Jesus the main focus in your life? And here's the reality. 
If that's not true in your life, there's going to be tension in your life because we were created to have a relationship with our Creator. And if, if Jesus is not preeminent in our lives, we are operating out of balance with how we were originally designed and how we were originally created to live. And when that happens, there will be tension. For in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That in Jesus is the fullness of God on full display. Full divinity and full humanity wrapped into one. The God-man Jesus. And through Jesus to reconcile, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That when we see exactly who Jesus is, when we see how incredible he is in all that he's done, and we look at this, then what do we see? That in, that in everything he's the main focus and that he is the fullness of God and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. That the eternal God, preeminent in everything, who created the very world that he would come to thousands of years later, that as he came, he was born in a place that was not special, was not famous. And he spent the first years of his life, he and his family, as refugees. That he settled down and went into business as a tradesman without fame or fanfare. Roughly 30 years after being born, he would start ministry and select a crew that we would all scratch our heads about and say, really? Are you sure about those guys? That he would impact thousands. Many would come check him out, but most would walk away and not continue to follow. That he would... He would be ushered into a city with cries of save us, save us, save us. And less than a week later, hear those cries of save us turn to crucify him, proving once and for all how fickle public opinion can be. And the Creator, God Himself, would surrender himself to die in a death that was so brutal the Old Testament would prophesy that if you looked at him, you couldn't even tell he was human because he was beaten so badly. That our Savior would come as a servant Humble, sacrificing himself so that we could experience salvation and be delivered from our rebellion against God in our sin once and for all. And you, 
who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Jesus is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. That we were alienated and we were hostile and we were doing evil, but we've been reconciled. And, and we might want to think of ourselves in a different light, but what Scripture tells us is, is before we made a decision to follow Jesus, before we put our faith and our trust and our hope in Him, this is our reality, whether we like that or not, whether we can embrace it or not. Our reality is this, that we were alienated from God, we were hostile towards God, and we were doing evil, and yet in that state, well, we had nothing to offer God, God saw us, and he loved us, and he chose us, and he's reconciled us. He came. He came to die for us. But Jesus has paid our penalty, and it changes our standing with God. It changes everything about us at our core. And if indeed you continue in the faith, Stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now, I just want to camp out here for a minute as well, because as, as we did earlier, I want to be crystal clear on something. If indeed you continue in the faith, it isn't that our, our faith is dependent upon us and what we do. As, as we've talked about, the reason and the, the way that we're saved is through grace. It's a gift not of ourselves and what we do or what we can earn, lest any of us could boast. It is God's gift to us. It isn't dependent upon us. It's God's gift to us. And so what this is talking about is not that we have to do more good than bad in order to be saved or anything along those lines, as though it's somehow dependent on us, as God's gift is dependent upon us. What's being conveyed here is that our faith is revealed our faith is revealed by what we do. Our faith is revealed by what we do. If indeed you continue in the faith, meaning time tells. Time will tell whether or not your faith is legitimate. Time will tell whether or not your faith is real. Time will tell that story. So if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I Paul became a minister. This faith that's available to us through the sacrifice of the Creator who is preeminent in everything, who is eternal, who is greater than we can fathom or ever understand and approachable enough that he knows our names. And he loves us. And he values us. And he cares about us. And research shows like never before, people are struggling right now with whether or not they have value and whether or not they have worth. And people wrestle all the time. What's this all about? We've been told the answer to what this is all about. And whether you ask that question because you're just in a dark place or whether you ask that question out of a searching heart, whether you ask that question because you have a term paper or whether you ask that question because 
you've been experimenting with some substances or overindulged on something, whatever the reason may be, you ask that question. We all do. And when you get to the point where you have to come up with the conclusion of what is the point of all of this, the answer is for the glory of God. That's the reason we exist. That's the reason that we live. And when we look at who God is and how incredible Jesus is, I'm fascinated and floored by the fact that this God who loves us still loves us. And in His holiness and everything that He's done, still desires a relationship with us. The answer to your value, the answer to your worth, the answer to whether or not you matter was answered once and for all on a cross. For the Savior of this world, the Creator of this world came. And He paid the price that He did not owe because of his love for us. Jesus, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for your love for us. Our minds cannot fully comprehend your glory. Lord, when we try to fathom your love for us and all that you've done for us, we can't fully comprehend it. But we know your love for us is great. And all this is for you. So God, help us see your glory on display and not just walk through the world missing it. Let that start in our hearts where we say we're going to glorify you, we're going to honor you, we're going to praise you. As we see the beauty and the majesty of your creation, let, us, let it point us closer to you. when we feel like everything's falling apart in our world, remind us that you're the glue that holds us together. And the beauty of recognizing our own insufficiency is coming to the place where we realize how sufficient you are. That you are willing to come to this world as a servant who suffered and bled for our salvation so that we could be reconciled to the Creator we rebelled against. It is with grateful hearts we say thank you for all that you've done. Thank you, Jesus.